0: The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. A couple months ago, I uh, was reading a book and it shared this little story about the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. And the story is that he was sitting on an airplane ready to take off. And, um, you know, every time you get on an airplane, there's always that same thing that happens before someone takes off. The stewardess comes down and checks to make sure everyone's seatbelt is on. Well, Muhammad Ali is sitting there, and the stewardess recognizes that his seatbelt isn't on. And so she walks up to him and says, excuse me, sir, will you put your seatbelt on? And to which Muhammad Ali responds, my name is Muhammad Ali. I am Superman, and Superman don't need a seatbelt. It's probably not what I would be expecting if I was the stewardess, but she's like, sir, I know who you are. You're not (laughs) hard to mistake. Uh, That doesn't change the fact that you need to wear a seatbelt. To which he once again responded, My name is Muhammad Ali. I am Superman, and Superman don't need a seatbelt. Well, this confrontation continues for four to five minutes to the point where the, the first the stewardess says, All right, I, I'm going to go talk to my manager on the plane, the other stewardess. And so she walks up to him, to her, and says to her, like, Hey, this is a situation. Muhammad Ali is in the front, and he won't put his seatbelt on. And she goes, No worries, I've got it. So this new woman comes up to Muhammad Ali and says to him once again, sir, will you please put your seatbelt on? And he responds, my name is Muhammad Ali. I am Superman, and Superman don't need a seatbelt. And to which the woman said, yeah, but Superman doesn't need a plane to get around. Put your seatbelt on. (laughs) Now, when I first read this, there was two things that came to mind. One was, I wish I had her wit, because that was awesome. Like, hmm. She got him to answer, it was funny, never would've thought of it. But the second thing I thought about was how could someone think of themselves so powerfully that they didn't need to follow the rules or like really do what's best for them? Well, a couple of weeks go by, I believe, and I open up my Facebook, and I get like Facebook memories. If you have Facebook, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, on this day, you posted this so many years ago. And I get a picture of me and a girl that I dated uh, back in sophomore year of college. And I first looked at it and was like, wow, I was a baby. The second thing I thought to myself was, man, that relationship, it just never really worked. It was super messy. It was always kind of like hard to work on. And, and I kind of thought to myself, why did I even get there in the first place? Like, why did we even... Start this relationship. And as I kind of started to ponder a little bit, it came to my attention that the reason I started this relationship was because at the time, my best friend had gotten engaged. My two other closest friends were in significant dating relationships. And to be honest, I was just tired of being the seventh wheel. And in that moment, I feel like the Holy Spirit just nudged on my heart and said, you thought Muhammad Ali was kind of ridiculous? You were doing the same thing you thought you were more powerful than you actually were and took matters into your own hands and tried to make something work when it wasn't supposed to. And the truth is everyone in this, every person in this room or watching online or on the courtyard has done that at some point in their life. They have tried to take matters into their own hands because what they were hoping for wasn't coming. And so today, we're gonna be looking at at a passage of scripture that shares and shows us what happens when we take matters into our own hands in comparison to what happens when God has it in his. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 16. If you do not have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens behind me as well as in the little handouts. And just to kind of let you know a little bit about where we're going, over the last month, we have been looking at this amazing story about a guy named Abram and Sarai. And uh, they eventually will become Abraham and Sarah. But at this point, we've looked at them about these two people who have taken this amazing step of faith and started following God into this unknown place. But in this process of faith, we've seen them make many mistakes. And I love this truth that God doesn't, neglect those or kind of like hide their mistakes because it also shows that to us that as men and women of faith, we can have faults and failures and God can still be in the midst of it. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 16, starting at verse one, and it says this. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord had prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Cana, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave you my servant to embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Now, Sarah dealt with, dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, uh, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitudes. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're pregnant, and you shall bear a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Birla Bil- Eroin, and it lies between Kadesh and Beer. And Hagar bore Abram a son and called on the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. In verse one of this passage, we, we read that Sarai hasn't had a child. Now, if you're in this room or watching or on the courtyard and, and can relate to this story, you can recognize the pain if you've longed to be a mother at some point and has not happened, the pain that that would come. And, and I'm sorry if that is you. I, I can't imagine what that would look like. There's a little bit more to this story as well, though, because of the context of this culture in this day as a woman uh, in this day and age, which is sad, you were valued by if you could produce offspring or not. So as as Sarai is getting older in age, you can only imagine the weight and shame that is being placed upon her shoulders because something that she is supposed to be doing isn't happening. And I can only imagine the hurt that she's feeling, the frustration that's coming with it. But to make matters worse, there's something hanging over them, this promise from God, this promise that God is going to make them into this amazing, great, and powerful nation. And yet they continue to get older and they have no offspring. Now, I used to believe back growing up that patience was the time from when your dream started to the moment it happened. But I've realized that Patience doesn't start until what you hoped for hasn't come and so you now have to wait when you thought it should have already been with you. And see, the truth is in our life is that when we will take matters into our own hands, when our hopes are not met on our terms, we will take matters into our own hands when our hopes are not met on our terms. And when things aren't going the way that we want to, right? Like, for example, maybe you're at a company right now and there's uh, this this kind of takeover and you're, you're trying to figure out how to go about your life and you're realizing, man, it's inevitable. They're probably gonna let me go anyway. So I'll just start to look. Instead of prayerfully considering what God has in mind, I start to figure out my options, get my resume together, put things together in hopes that I can find something. Or maybe you're in a relationship with someone and they're not providing you uh, love the way that you understand it. And so you've been patiently waiting all this time for it to happen and eventually it's not happening the way you want. And so you know what? It's not that big of a deal to, to go talk to someone in the Starbucks line, right? Maybe they will speak to my soul the way I need it. See, the truth is when we take matters into our own hands, we look towards the wisdom of man to determine what to do. We look towards the wisdom of man to figure out what we are to do in our lives. And so Sarah does this. See, this day and age, they didn't have the technology that we have today to try to have a child. And so the best way to understand what she is doing is, is she's providing Hagar to be a surrogate for them. Someone to, to take on the baby so that they can eventually have it on their own. Now, in this day and age, we need to understand a little bit also of their culture. There's this pecking order, uh, amongst uh, both men and women, but as a, as a woman, the highest position you can hold as a wife. And in that position, you got the full covering of the household, the full blessing of the household, and your kids got a full inheritance, right? So as a wife, you had all of these amenities and things provided for you. The second level was that was called a concubine, a secondary wife. And this was someone who would be a surrogate and they would get partial blessing of the household. They would get partial covering of the household and they would also, their kids would get a partial blessing as well. Now, below that, there would be um, what would be a daughter who was under the age of marriage. And so she would have the covering of the household and experience the blessing of the household, but she wouldn't get the inheritance. And then below that would be a woman who is over the age of marriage, who doesn't, is not married. And below that would be the servant. And the servant is the person who got absolutely nothing. They got no blessing, no covering, nothing. Now, in this culture, if you were to hand someone over to your spouse to be um, a, this, a concubine, which we'll see later in Scripture, um, they moved from their position up to this secondary level. And I bring this up because we're going to start to quickly see what happens when we take matters into our own hands is this, that we become blinded to our actions and start to mistreat others around us. And it starts off subtly. Now, you might not have noticed this, but if you did, um, when the Bible repeats itself over and over again, it's trying to get us to draw attention to it. It's trying to get us to ask the question, why is this being asked or said so many times? And as we read through this text, you might have noticed that six times Hagar has been identified as a servant. And if it wasn't supposed to be a big deal, then it could have easily just said at the start, Hagar, a servant of Sarai. So why is the writer here trying to get us to focus in on the fact that Hagar is a servant over and over and over again? It's because after verse three, where it says that, um Sarai, Abraham's wife, took uh, the, uh took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham her husband as a wife. It should her name and title should have changed. It should have gone from servant to concubine, but it didn't. But it didn't. And what we can see is that in our when we take matters into our own own hands, that we become so self-consumed and so self-focused that we start to affect the people around us in a negative way and it starts to hurt them and we stop honoring what they have done because we are too consumed with our own self. Uh, my, my small group uh, for the last few months have been going over this series on marriage and um, this past weekend, we talked about parenting. I'm sorry, this past week. And uh, if you ever want to get a room to be quiet, talk about parenting, sex, money, or politics. And so I'm very grateful I'm not doing this alone. We're actually watching this amazing study by Lisa and Francis Chan. And in this study, Francis shared a moment when his first daughter was born and, and she was screaming in her crib, crying super loud. And he picks her up and yells at her, shut up! And then places her in there. And I'm gonna be honest, I definitely know what that's like. There've been times when the cries of my children have gotten to the place where I'm like agitated. But what he said after that was what hit me so deep into my heart. He said, after he put his daughter down and walked away, he just started to weep because he took out his anger, his frustration on someone who was innocent, who had done nothing. And that's usually what happens in our blindness. We start to negatively affect the people around us. We start screaming out in pain and agony because things aren't going the way we want. And one of the greatest evidences of how if you've tried to take matters into your own hands is how are people responding to you? Because in verse um, four, it says that Hagar looked with contempt on her mistress. That means that Sarah got angry and upset not because Hagar had done anything but just because she gave her a negative look. Anyone else think that's a little ridiculous? No, okay, just me. Right? Like like right none of us are going to go like what? Like, how how can you respond in that way? But it's the truth that when things aren't going the way that we want, we start to project on the people around us. And so they could look at us the wrong way and we could respond and we start to respond in a negative way. And so this is that moment when you're hoping that they would have this like, you know, this turnaround, these are people of faith. They shouldn't figure out what they're doing is wrong, but it doesn't, right? it starts to get a little bit worse. And we see that when we take matters into our own hands, it it spirals. It starts off as we were blinded by actions. Our actions might've started small, but they get worse and worse and worse as we go. And so it says here that Sarai comes to Abram says, "'May the wrong done on me be on you.'" I gave my servant for your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on you with, looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge me, judge between you and me." And what we see is this, that when we take matters into our own hands, we will blame others for our faults and failures instead of taking responsibility on our own. Sarai our first blamed God for not allowing her to have a children, and now she's using God as a weapon against her husband. How dare you? And now God's going to judge you. But not only that, she looks to her spouse, the one that she willingly gave her, her servant to and says, it's your fault. And how many times do we do that in our lives? When we go to a situation through our lives and say like, man, I wouldn't have to be gambling so much if you weren't spending so much on clothes, Right? Right, like we we blame the person across the way for our sin instead of saying my sin is making a mistake that is now infecting you. See, we would much rather place the blame on someone else's shoulders than to take it on our own. And which is so sad to me is this: is this is Abram's first child and we see that he's 86 years in age he has not had a child yet and you would think at this moment that Abram would have awakening and say that's my child do not mess with him or her because they didn't have the ability to know beforehand and yet he says what I don't want anything to do with it you do whatever you want it's your servant it's your choice See, we just see that there is this spiral that takes place when we are in control. We look to man's wisdom for how to respond. We become blinded and start to mistreat and abuse the people around us. And we start to blame others. And it goes from bad to worse and continuing down. Because as we read in um, verse six, that Sarah, after hearing that she can do what she wants, starts to deal harshly with Hagar. Now this word harshly is a pretty big word because it's the same word that's used later on in scripture to talk about how the Egyptians treated the Israelites. This abusive, controlling, um, withholding, painful experience. And that's what's happened to Hagar. And it's so sad to see. But that's the truth about what happens when we take matters into our own hands, that at some point in our life, what we thought was going to bring us satisfaction only starts to become destructive. And it doesn't always happen over time. In the the instance of a moment, it takes time to see those things take place. For example, maybe you are really struggling with a situation at work, and when you get home, you take out your frustration and anger on your child or your spouse or your friends, and you become snappy and angry and frustrated. Now, the first time that happens, it might not be a big deal, but when you start stacking it on top of each other over and over and over and over and over again, what happens to those relationships? they start to dissolve, right? Because now they're coming around you on eggshells because they don't know what side of you you're going to get. And so when we take matters into our own hands, we tend to not bring us satisfaction. We tend to prevent satisfaction from coming. So what does it look like when God is in control though? Well, it starts off in verse seven. It says, the angel of the Lord found her Hagar by the spring of the water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where are you come from and where are you going? And one of the first things we see that when God takes matters into into his own hands, he meets us where we are and restores our value to us. And the reason we see that is when someone calls you by your name, they means that they see you more than just an object or a person. They have placed a value upon you. He doesn't say to her, excuse me, who are you? No, he calls her by name in her darkness. Now, this is usually the time when people go, man, that sounds awesome. I've never experienced a booming voice saying, hi, Ricky. So the question begins is, how do I see when God's meeting me where I'm at? You might have heard this this story. um, And if you have, awesome. If you haven't, cool. Uh, There's a story of a guy that had a house that's on the edge of a dam. And uh, one day he wakes up to a knocking on his door with someone in a car saying, excuse me, sir, I just want to let you know, the dam is cracking. Your house is going to be destroyed. It's time to leave. And the guy goes, thank you for telling me. That's great. I'm going to go pray and see what God wants me to do. So the guy is like, no, uh, no, no, no. I don't think you understand me. We need to leave now. And the guy's like, no, no, no. I, I'm fine. I got it. I got it. No worries. And he goes back in the house and starts to pray. Well, the water starts to rise and then a guy is driving by in a truck and hoping, notices that there's someone in this house and is like, oh my gosh, we got to stop. Like, they're going to die. And he goes on and knocks on the door and says, sir, the water's rising. You can see it's in your house. We need to leave. The dam is breaking. He goes, I know. Someone's already told me. And I'm a faithful Christian. I'm believing that God's going to protect me. Um, but so thanks for your warning. You can go. And the water continues to rise. He gets to the second floor and the guy coming now on a boat to try to find any survivors or people that have still been left there are still choosing to sit there. And he comes to the guy and says the same thing. And the guy once again has him leave. And then in the water gets to the top of the house where the man is standing on his roof and someone in a helicopter comes to get him. And he says, I'm a believer. God's going to show up. It's going to be great. So you can leave. And then the guy that eventually dies and he up to heaven and says, God, what the heck? I was faithful. I believed in you. Why didn't you provide for me? And he goes, I gave you a warning. I gave you a truck driver. I gave you a boat and a helicopter. And you said no to all of them. See, more often than not, the reasons why we don't see God with us is because we have chosen the way God will reveal himself and will only stay there. Instead of praying, God, will you open my eyes to the ways that you are coming alongside me, so I can see you have see that you have not abandoned me. See, God speaks to us in His Word, in prayer, in community, in in a discipleship, in small groups, in in you know mentorship relationships, and in our experiences. And so maybe the reason that person texted you out of the blue was because that was God's way of trying to say, I see you and I want them to walk alongside you, but you gave them the grocery store answer. And you said, Oh, no, I'm fine, no worries. Instead of saying, man, I my marriage is struggling. Thank you for reaching out with me. See, more often than not, the reason why we don't see God at work is because we don't willing to accept the way he's revealing himself to us. And as a little caveat is this, is that if God has placed someone into your heart, will you please reach out to them? Because you could be the Holy Spirit, you could be the person that they need to see that God is with them. It's not that hard to quickly text someone or like, hey Siri, can you text Bob? Right? Like it's not that hard, but we get so consumed with our own worries that we miss out the fact that God has called us to be outward focused. And so my challenge for you is if, if someone is on your heart, reach out to them. But also in return, if someone's reached out to you, be willing to be vulnerable with them because it could be the way that God is seeing you in your circumstance. So God sees her in a circumstance and then he tells you that when God is in control, he's going to call you to trust him in the unknown. It says it says this in verse nine, then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Now at this point, we all should be stopping and going, wait, what? Did God just really say what? Right? Because I just explained that the word, the word that's being used harshly was this very strong word. So that means that that treatment was not good, that God is calling to go back to her abuser. Now, before we go any further, I need to explain something. That any decision that you make has to be around is God out of faith, not out of fear. Because there's other places in scripture where God calls people to leave their abuser. One of the greatest examples is this young boy named David. You might've heard him as King David. And at a young boy, he was playing the harp for Saul and Saul would try to spear him multiple times against a wall. It's kind of scary, and yet God, through his friend Jonathan, says that if you don't leave, you're going to die. And so we cannot make a decision if we are going to stay, if we are going to leave, unless it's made out of faith, not out of fear. Because what God is calling us to do, what God is calling Hagar to do, what God had called Abram and Sarai to do was to trust him But more often than not, when it comes to our lives, we tend to make fear-based decisions instead of faith-based decisions. See, out of fear, we might might pull our kids out of public school and place them into private school because we're terrified of what's happening there. But out of faith, God could be saying, I really want your child to be in this place. And so take them there. The answer was the same, but the way you got to that answer was so different. Now, we don't know what was, how the treatment continues or what. The only next time we really learn about Hagar is when Abraham now sends Hagar and Ishmael away. Just says, hey, like, it's time for you guys to to go on on your own. But the, whether that treatment or not was changed, we have to realize that God has not abandoned them because he sees her. And brought value to her, he says to trust her in the unknown. And so, so after that, God responds to her and says, This um, in verse 10: that the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for the multitude. Now, this is pretty interesting. I don't know if you guys if, if you know what God has said over Abram and Sarah, it says that your descendants are going to outnumber the stars. Yeah. Now, what he says to Hagar was, was that your descendants will, cannot be numbered for the multitudes. Remember earlier I shared that there is a pecking order and that the, the concubine got a lesser version of the blessing. What God does here is that when he takes matters into his own hand, he restores the injustice that was placed upon you and provides the blessing what God just did there is he actually elevated to the status of concubine, even though Abram and Sarah would not, she got a partial blessing of Abram and Sarai. God gave it to her. God honored what she had done, even when man would not honor what she had done. And as we can see, though, that this blessing also had a curse, not so much to her, but to the people who weren't being faithful. Right, so Abraham and Sarai, their descendants are now going to be at odds with Ishmael's descendants. And what's so s- sad is that this war is still taking place today. Israel is still fighting a battle that both sides come back to this story We are sons of Abraham through Isaac, or we are sons of Abraham through Ishmael. And so we deserve this land. And So we have to realize that God restores injustice when we rest upon him. And then this is the question is, what is Hagar going to do? Right? What is Hagar going to do with this information? What does she say? She says in verse 13, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of seeing for truly I have seen him who looks after me. And so she goes and returns. Because that God had seen her and placed value upon her, she was willing to trust him in the unknown that he was going to restore her even when no one else would. So that leaves the question for all of us is this, is who represents you best today? Which one of these characters do you more align with? Are you Hagar or are you Sarai? Are you making a fear-based decision or a faith-based decision? Are you allowing God to take control of your life? Or are you trying to take control of your life and make things work out on your own? Because God will provide when you put it in your hands. And you will make a mess of it when you don't. And so for those of you in this room who are believers, who say, I am a Christ father. I I have bent my knee towards Jesus. I have a challenge for you this week. Will you be willing to pray this very scary prayer that King David wrote in the 139th Psalm? Says in verses 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there are any grievances ways in me and lead me in everlasting. King David's words here are very bold and very scary because he's saying, God, will you actually take time to look into my space and reveal the areas where I am so latched on for control? Will you reveal those areas where I am angry or frustrated or bitter? Will you show how I'm mistreating others and not living up to what you've called me? And will you take it away from me? And so for those of you in this room who are believers, will you pray this scary prayer? And then will you choose to repent of the things that God has presented before you? Will you recognize your sin and instead of blaming someone else for it, will you say, I messed up? Lord, I need you, forgive me and help bring restoration to the brokenness in the relationships I've caused. And for those of you not in this room, who are in this room, not in, whatever. Uh, For those of you who do not know Jesus, And if you've been going through the wisdom of man, taking matters into your own hands, looking at the world around you and making the choices based upon that, will you be willing to take time to think about your decisions and the way you've acted and the way you've responded and be honest with yourself? How's it going? Are you doing a great job, a good job, an okay job, or a terrible job of being God? Because if you're honest you will notice that more of your decisions have caused you pain. And so if that's you, will you today make the choice to bend your knee to Jesus and say, Lord, if you really see me, if you really value me, if you really will provide for me, then I will trust you. I will trust you. In a moment, uh, the band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing one last song. And the song is, Lord, I need you. And as we sing this song, will you reflectively think about where you're at? For those in this room that you're believers, will you start that prayer and pray the psalm so that God will start to search in your heart and if he reveals anything to you, will you place it at his feet? Will you tell the people around you, like your spouse, your community, hey, these are the things that I need help with so that you can continue to walk in faith and not fear? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you and give you thanks that you are the God who sees us, that you are the God who does not abandon us, that does not leave us in our own mess and our own demise, but you are the God who sees and speaks and walks alongside. Lord, will you forgive us in the areas in our lives where we have abandoned you by trying to take matters into our own hands? Lord, we ask that as we go about this week, that you would start to soften our hearts to the areas that you need, and that we would bring that it would bring glory and honor to your name. God, we love you. We're so grateful that you are the God who has never abandoned us. So we give you this. Our name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.